Welcome to the Creative Pen Podcast. I'm Joanna Penn, thriller author and creative entrepreneur, bringing you interviews, inspiration and information on writing, publishing options and marketing ideas for your book. You can find the episode show notes, your free author blueprint and lots more information at thecreativepen.com and that's pen with a double N. And here's the show. Hello creatives, I'm Joanna Penn and this is episode number 487 of the podcast and it is Friday the 1st of May 2020 as I record this on day 39 of lockdown here in the UK and can you believe it's May? (laughs) What happened to April? (laughs) It does seem crazy how the days seem to be getting faster. I don't know what is going on with time, but it does feel weird. Anyway, today I have an interview on writing and selling short fiction with Matty Dalrymple. We're talking about why writing shorts can be effective, how to publish them, make money by licensing or self-publishing, or use them to connect with readers, as well as tools for splitting royalties with co-writers for anthologies and lots more. In publishing news this week, uh, loads of stuff going on. So many roundups of the impact of the pandemic on books. Uh, Some interesting things. So first of all, really good news for all of us, not just the UK, but the UK government has scrapped 20% VAT, so the sales tax, on ebooks seven months early. So this was due to happen at the end of the year, but it has happened now. Thanks, Rishi Sunak, our Chancellor. Much appreciated. Now, this is valid for everybody because if you go into your publishing dashboards, your various dashboards, you'll see the percentage of uh, VAT um, that is added on all the European countries. And obviously, lots of different countries have different sales taxes, but 20% was a big whack. And what it will mean is many of us priced Uh, like £2.99, for example, included the VAT. And now it doesn't. So this is money in our pockets, which is really good news for everybody. Good news for the uh, book industry. Good news for indie authors. Brilliant. So very happy news to start with. And let's face it, it's always good to have some happy news (laughs) during pandemic times. So BookBub also has a great article on how reader behaviour is changing. Uh, Just picking a couple of things from it, obviously links in the show notes. Michael Tamblin, CEO of Rakuten Kobo, uh, said that they are seeing a spike in new account signups and purchases are similar to what they'd see in the holidays. Kevin Tomlinson, the wonderful Kevin at Drafted Digital, says increased ebook purchases across all platforms. While we did see ebook sales slow during the first couple of weeks, things have recovered very well. Retailers are up by an average of 25%. Libraries are up by over 130%. Now, I'm always talking about getting your books into libraries through Drafted Digital. So that is really good news. And a couple of authors, the uh, incredible Mark Dawson has said that his sales have grown by 30% since physical distancing began. And romance author Laurelyn Page reports her backlist is seeing a lift of 5 to 10%. Just a couple of examples. Uh, personally, I'm definitely seeing uh, more sales thanks to you guys buying direct from my PayHip store, uh, but also because I've been taking advantage of cheaper advertising prices. So I can't really compare like for like because April I've been doing more 
advertising because it's been so cheap. Although I already think that's starting to change. <laughs> so uh, in Europe, Reedsy, uh, Ricardo from Reedsy emailed and noted how the digital shift has suddenly started in countries that have resisted it until now. This is all great news, by the way. This is just all really good news for indies. Uh, in France, Fnac, the second biggest ebook retailer after Amazon, reported 130% growth of ebook downloads. In Italy, ebook sales up 50%. And in Spain, ebook growth has soared over 140%, audiobook growth over 250%. That is just incredible. And it's really funny because certainly what we've seen in Europe and a lot of places that have resisted digital is this may be the tipping point and things may start to really change. I think libraries can go in there as well, but now it's happening. So I would say 2020s, we all thought that um, the 2010s would be the decade of digital, but it's probably going to be the 2020s and the rest of the world is catching up. Now, while I am really positive about that for indie authors, I also think that traditional publishing will be seeing this and changing their ways. We'll come back to that in a minute. But Reedsy, do have translators if you are interested in those other markets at thecreativepen.com forward slash Reedsy, R-E-E-D-S-Y. They have moved into uh, doing that now. You can find curated translators there. Okay, what else? Uh, audiobook distribution platform Findaway Voices, who uh, my audiobooks are on, has noticed volatility. Now, certainly uh, I have experienced this. We've seen this with the podcast. We've seen this with audiobooks. As shelter-in-place orders started being announced, we saw a dip in engagement with audiobooks, fewer people commuting. Uh, however, after about a week or so, engagement picked back up and not many platforms now surpass previous normal levels. Behaviours are definitely changing. But our big takeaway is that people are absolutely still listening, maybe in different places or at new times, but listeners still want access to great audiobooks. I've certainly found my own, I've started returning to a lot of the podcasts. I have, I still have less time for listening, but I am speeding things up. I'm trying to make time for them because I want to stay up to date with things. And I'm definitely picking and choosing what I'm listening to more. But I've listened to um, a couple of audiobooks this week as well and nonfiction. And yeah, really enjoying listening. So perhaps that normalisation is seeing a, a return to the things that we were doing before we were constantly hooked on the news every five minutes, which I think has also fallen off. What else? The bookseller reports, um, they had an interview with uh, Curtis Brown literary agent Johnny Geller, who is one of the big name agents in the here in the UK, has advised publishers to see lockdown as a time of change and experiment. Uh, he said publishers missed off opportunities and were critical of their passivity, suggested they are missing a moment to forge a relationship directly with the reader. Uh, as many publishers pushed titles back to the autumn, Geller said he thought moving so many was a mistake and delays will make next year jammed. Of course, this is traditional publishing, remember. But I do think we are all readers. Many of you listeners are in traditional publishing. So I think this is all uh, relevant. Independent publishers, some bookstores have begun to explore new business models. Fantastic. With presses such as Galley Beggar, Bloomsbury and Sandstone delivering straight to customers. Here we go. And this is what I think the shift is coming. There has also been discussion about subscription models. Uh, Geller advises caution. Some subscription could work, but the all-you-can-eat buffet style 
would destroy author income and reduce choice. Now, you guys know I'm not a fan of KU. And the only reason I'm not a fan of KU is because it is not uh, open to everything. So if you put a book in ebook in KU, it can't also go to a library. I am absolutely a fan of subscription models. So my ebooks and audiobooks are in a lot of subscriptions like Scribd, uh, all, lots of other ones, Kobo, the Kobo one. And uh, all those subscription models are not exclusive. So my issue with KU is not subscription, it is exclusivity. Johnny Geller here is saying it would destroy author income. I actually think it would expand choice and expands our streams of income. So I do see why it might destroy agents' income because the uh, income model is very different. It's not like here's a big whack of money up front. It's here's lots of micropayments over time, which is a very different business model. So what I would say is subscriptions are going to continue growing and we are seeing huge growth right now on things like Scribd, for example. He also says as ebooks and audiobook products continue to rise in popularity, said that there should be a change in royalty rates because it was unconscionable to keep them low when sales were increasing. So definitely an interesting look at the author, traditional published author business model. How can that change in a time of rising digital and subscription models when generally the traditionally published author contract is very heavily skewed towards print? Uh, Also, Yes, some more on Selling Direct. The bookseller does interview Galley Beggar co-founder Sam Jordison, who says, it's always been better for us and better for our authors if people buy direct. Hopefully in the long run, people will get more used to buying from publishers. So I love to love to see this. This is, again, something I've been talking about. Selling Direct is going to be the way forward. Um, He says, I would encourage every publisher to try and do direct sales or sell stock through other retailers and not rely on Amazon so much because, as they've shown, they don't really care about us. For the last couple of years, I've had the feeling they've deprioritized books anyway. And a literary agent also quoted says, Amazon's decision making shows it is not a bookseller. It is merely a seller. And books are not a priority, whereas for us, they are our lifeblood. And so I'm, I'm, I guess I'm really happy to hear this from publishers because, again, as I mentioned last week, we are book people and the publishing industry is full of book people. We love books. Yes, we do things in different ways, but none of us want to see publishers and booksellers and bookstores and traditionally published authors uh, fall apart. What we want to see is a, a remodelling of the industry. However, this will have an impact on us. And this is my futurist head coming on here. I had already written this before I saw an article come over the bookseller, literally just before I started recording. So my feeling is that indies have done very well with the digital model for the last decade. We have essentially had very little competition. <laughs> we can price ebooks low, we can go globally wide, we can sell direct, we can move fast, we can do all these things. We're we're good at digital marketing. We've been ahead in all of these areas. But what I see happening is traditional publishing is now realizing this. And they have had a nod to digital, but most of them have focused on print first. So what is about to happen Traditional publishing is about to jump into our pond. (laughs) And I think the next uh, 
Yeah, I don't think it will happen this year. I think 2021, we are going to see a lot of different business models from traditional publishers. And where indies have been the innovators for a long time, I think we're going to see some changes. So buckle up for the ride. What it will mean is we will be challenged and we will push ourselves onwards. I'm actually looking forward to it. I think the more big companies that get into various niches, the more it will push money into the sector. For example, I've talked for a long time and I've got an interview coming up on this around the AI stuff, AI with the book as metadata. If we can get bigger money into publishing, then we will get the tools that will enable us to go to the next level. And of course, the indie author space, we have some wonderful tools. Thank you to all the entrepreneurs who do tools for indie authors. But let's face it, you know, it's not huge money. Whereas if we, if there is a much bigger sector, then people are actually going to pay attention. So the article that just came through on the bookseller says, HarperCollins is launching an ebook subscription service called We Love Romance, providing unlimited access to thousands of Mills and Boone titles. Available in the UK and Ireland, launching first on Apple. Before hitting Android and desktop, customers can have a free 14-day trial with the option of a £7.99 a month, it's like US dollars 99 or a £79.99 a year subscription. We Love Romance offers access to a host of books from Mills and Boone, which publishes 60 new titles a month and already boasts a monthly UK readership of 1.3 million. So... Oh, I have real mixed feelings towards this announcement. And I think this will be rippling through the publishing industry right now. They are launching on Apple, which is really interesting. So uh, it's going to be an app. If you're a romance reader, you have access to 60 new books a month and the entire backlist. Will, and of course, this is UK first, but presumably they're going to move it into the US if it works uh, and other places in the world. Will this let's say within three months, cannibalise from Kindle Unlimited romance? That That is a really interesting question. I do think that this has to have an impact, has to. If you are an all-you-can-eat romance reader of the Mills and Boone type genre, and I realise romance is a very broad church and there will be lots of different romance writers listening who do not write anything like the Mills and Boone type book. But let's face it, there are a lot of readers who do like it and perhaps they will expand that because the subscription book, uh, the subscription service is not called Mills and Boone. It's called We Love Romance. So I wonder whether they will expand that over time and turn it into more of a hub. And they're going up against Amazon KU with this, right? It's going to be launched on Apple and then it will go on Android. So I am fascinated by this. I think this might be the first direct subscription service. Uh, I don't, I mean, maybe there's other ones, but this one has the potential to be huge. And given that romance, I believe, is one of the biggest categories on KU, this is fascinating. So when I said that we're going to have competition, here's an example. And this, this is a direct comparison to KU. So it's going to be very interesting what happens with that and whether if that works, we're going to see big publishers launch other things. We love thrillers, for example. (laughs) Now, I do think that 
given that it's HarperCollins, I mean, the difference between uh, Amazon doing or Scribd or lots of the other <laughs> Kobo, they are not the publisher, so they can get all the different books into one area. But it will be interesting to see if publishers come together to create similar ideas for different genres. Definitely, this could be a change. So interesting times, my friends. Uh, But as ever, I'm very positive. I think that the competition will breed far more investment and far more interesting possibilities as we move into the 2020s. So my personal update this week, I am editing Map of the Impossible, printed it all out, spending hours on words with my thesaurus open, having fun. And it, but it is pretty intense. You guys know editing is intense work, but I do enjoy editing so much and really working the manuscript at this stage into something better. I will have some extra chapters to write. I've got some rejigging and all of that type of thing. So I don't I don't really call it, well, I guess it is a second draft. So I'm working on the second draft, but it's not rewriting. Like I don't start, I do start from the beginning and read it all the way through, but I, I don't write, rewrite everything. I'm just uh, fixing the language and obviously, um, and also restructuring in this past. But I am thinking of the audio and reading it, changing out words when I'm aware that the repeated sounds are happening. So I really do edit quite differently since I've been doing more audio. So that's happening. I also, I had a really good session with myself walking alone along the canal uh, with my dictaphone, little Sony thing, and had a lot of ideas about my JF Pen stuff. And I came up with two ideas, well, the two book titles for the next two Arcane books, which I want to finish this year. So uh, I am... I just feel a lot more settled. You can probably hear it. I'm I just I'm used to this now. I mean, we're what, what are we on day 40 something? Oh, day 39. We're almost on day 40. And I feel like oh, I'm used to this. And I think they say that it takes a month to put together a new habit and I feel like I'm into this habit now. I feel that I can I can manage this. I can manage this life. Now, obviously, there is still lots of awful things going on in the world and it's that is still out there, but I feel much more settled and I hope you do too. This is just keeping low, keeping your head down, you know, working hard, walking every day if you can, exercising, or even cooking more. We bought a soup maker. We just had some parsnip soup for lunch, which was very nice. I have never made soup before. I guess you could say I still haven't made soup because I chopped up some parsnips and put it in the machine. <laughs> I was very happy with that. It's a, it's a tea fowl soup maker, something like that. It's really easy. It has like three buttons, which is about my level. Uh, anyway, what else? Also, yes, I am back with Books and Travel. Books and Travel has returned with uh, an introduction that now supports JF Penn. So before uh, before the pandemic, I was trying to build another brand around travel. Now I have decided to make Books and Travel just my podcasting arm of JF Penn. So if you go to the latest interview, which is wonderful, it's with Caro Feely, who is a writer, um, but also has a vineyard in Sausignac in France. And we talk about the vineyard and making wine. And we uh, imagine drinking wine on the terrace overlooking the vines under the sun. It's just wonderful. I really want to go there. I know if you listen to it, you'll want to as well. (laughs) But um, that is the latest interview on books and travel. And the 
intro and the outro have a new call to action, which is to JF Pen. So that's my plan is to just, well, it's not a plan, it is happening. I'm, we're also going to go back and redo the intro and outro for all of the existing episodes and that will be supporting my JF Pen brand. So I'm, I'm really happy with that and happy to have it back. I've got lots of interviews coming up on different topics. So yeah, if you enjoy books and travel, check out the Books and Travel podcast on your favourite podcast app. And you can travel in your mind, in your imagination, if not in reality. (laughs) So also this week, I have been a participant in three live events of more than just an hour. So obviously I've been doing stuff on Zoom and Skype and whatever for years. But this week I did a three hour workshop with the uh, one of my favourite writers, Jonathan Mabry on fight scenes, which was excellent. And that was great because there's no way I could have gone to that workshop in real life in uh, California. I also did a, a masterclass on Facebook advertising, which again was three hours. And then I did a full day. It was like eight hour day on Uh, Atomicon, which is a small business entrepreneurial conference here in the UK. So I was meant to be up in Newcastle for that conference and it was obviously difficult and different to do it. They did the whole thing within a Facebook group and it was very good. I have to tell you, I learned a lot about online presenting in that way. Now, it was very very obvious the difference between the... um, Gen X presenters, like, you know, I'm a Gen X, where we were brought up on PowerPoint and Keynote. And then the millennial presenters were all using different tools to do quite much more interactive stuff and also presenting with an overlay. And you can do that using Prezi, P-R-E-S-I. And I just thought I need to upskill in these new presenting tools so that I can do more stuff with online video. And maybe I can do more events around the world without actually having to travel, even once the pandemic lockdown is done. Because I often get to speak at writers' conferences and writers' groups, and it's just not worth travelling for, but uh, fine if it's online. So it will be so interesting to see whether this shifts. But I was very impressed with Atomicon, very well-managed online event They had all these different streams. You know, when you have a big conference, you have different streams going at the same time. They even managed all that. Uh, So it it was really good to actually participate in a full day conference. Um, I know though also this month coming up is the Career Author Summit. So I'll be speaking at that. That was meant to be in Nashville. And that's in what actually only two weeks now. So that's quite exciting. My reflection again was if Atomicon happens next year, I will most likely go and be there in person because I didn't network at all. Now, they did have a networking area, but I just can't do that. You know, I don't want to network on Zoom. I struggle enough with my family. (laughs) So I really can't deal with too much of that. But I think that this will become part of the new normal. I think there will be a lot more premium conferences online. It, we've had these free online summits for years, but I think we're going to have much higher quality and very good premium conferences. So I thought that was interesting. I also wanted to shout out just on my personal stuff. I am doing a push for reviews on Audible for my London crime thriller box set which is still, because I did a royalty share deal uh, a few years back, it's still in exclusivity. You know, I don't normally do exclusivity, but 
when you do that, it lasts seven years. <laughs> so the royalty share. So the London Crime Thriller box set includes desecration, delirium and deviance in one mega audiobook. Uh, if you like crime thrillers, please do email me, Joanna at The Creative Pen, if you would like a review code for Audible US or Audible UK. So thanks for all your emails and tweets and comments this week. A shout out to Karen, who commented on one of my Facebook ads this week and recommended the show. She says, I've listened to many hours of her voice. Joanna gardens with me, cleans the kitchen, does laundry. Excellent. (laughs) Thank you, Karen. Ashley Rescott says, I really enjoy my daily walk. I thought of you at the cemetery. We were surprised to find this tomb of a revolutionary war soldier here in the American Midwest near our house and great pictures. Uh, Really lovely to see that. You guys know I love graveyards. You can always send pictures if you're in one. (laughs) Cemeteries, uh, ossuaries, crypts, you know, I'm a sucker for all that. My wonderful publisher in France for my non-fiction, Cyril Godefroy, says custom trim sizes on KDP wanted to, uh, he said, I haven't heard you mention this because I didn't know. Uh, He says, I wanted to create smaller mass market paperback versions of some books. Now it's possible. I'm trying a custom 4.2 times 6.75 inches format. You can go as small as four by six, but vellum doesn't have that format yet. Uh, In France, we call it poche, as in pocketbook, which I really love. Yes, if you're looking for different sizes, and I love that uh, indie authors and indie publishers like Serial uh, are doing that. So wonderful. Meg Nordman says, I was surprised about the stats on listening because I've been listening to audio non-stop during this lockdown, mostly on Hoopla Digital via my library. And that's brilliant to hear, Meg, because Hoopla you can get into through Dafter Digital and on Findaway. So my books are on Hoopla through Findaway for audio. Uh, Meg says, I guess everyone, I guess I assumed everyone was. Just finished your book on writing nonfiction today, actually, Joanna. Thank you, Meg. And uh, yes, you can get my ebooks and audiobooks on your library apps. Please do. <laughs> okay, Heather Sanseri says, love the question from Mark McGuinness on what creatives should be working on right now. If you could look two years into the future, what would you be excited about that you started working on now? And yeah, I totally agree, Heather, and um, lovely to hear from you. Uh, to Fizz Clockwatcher, which is a really good Twitter handle, <laughs> says, thank you for bringing your, and this was to me and Austin Cleon, so that was a few episodes ago. I just want to thank you for bringing your humanity and hope and honest struggle to the podcast. It's not an easy time. Thank you so much. And thanks to everyone who sends tweets and emails and leaves comments. You can tweet me at the creative pen with a double N and uh, send me pictures from your lockdown. Right. So today's show is sponsored by my new video online course with Jay Thorne on co-writing a book. Now, this is relevant for today's show as many indies collaborate on multi-author box sets with short stories Um which is one example of co-writing. And I talk about that in the interview with Matty. Now, it was really good fun to put this course together with Jay Thorne. It is a mini course. So uh, it's it's one of the smaller ones. We basically got on the phone and talked about everything we know, uh, obviously video, <laughs> got on Skype and we share everything we know about co-writing, collaboration. And we've both done quite a lot of it. Jay particularly has done a lot. We know all about what can go wrong, the failures, what will cause a partnership to fail, 
the practicalities for writing and publishing, the written agreement you need and much more. We're also really good friends at this point. So we have a real laugh and we're very honest about our experiences. We even revisit our Risen Gods writing diary, which we hadn't, <laughs> we hadn't actually talked about for ages. And we were able to be much more, uh, I guess we revisited it as better friends so we could talk really honestly about some of the subtext for our comments. So uh, it is a really, hopefully, really useful course for you guys. You can check it out for just 99 US dollars. Just go to thecreativepen.com forward slash learn and click all courses and then choose co-writing a book. If you are an existing student on my courses, you'll get 20% off. If you're a patron, you get 10% off. Make sure you use those promo codes. And if you are one of those and you don't know what they are, please email me, joanna at thecreativepen.com. So that is co-writing a book now available at thecreativepen.com forward slash learn. So this type of sponsorship pays for the hosting, transcription and editing, but my time in creating the show is sponsored by my wonderful patrons. Thanks to everyone supporting the show on Patreon at this difficult time. It means even more to me. And I know that many of you are uh, increasing your pledges and even some people I know are struggling have still kept, uh, kept their support up. So thank you so much. Thanks to new patrons this week, Marnie Werner, Wesley Cocazello, Kelly, Hacking Your 60s, Joseph Jean-Baptiste or Jean-Baptiste Jolicoeur. Well, that is a lovely name, Jolicoeur. Uh, I think that means happy heart or lovely heart or something like that. It's beautiful. Vanessa McKay and Donna K. Wallace. Obviously, you all have wonderful names, but Jolicoeur is wonderful. Uh, I really do appreciate your support on Patreon. It demonstrates you enjoy the show and want it to continue. And you can support the show for just a couple of dollars a month and you'll get the extra audio, which I recorded last week uh, for April. (laughs) I guess it's May now, so I'll have to do another one soon. (laughs) But you can support the show at patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash the creative pen. Right, let's get into the interview. Matty Dalrymple is a thriller and suspense author, as well as a non-fiction author and podcaster at theindieauthor.com. Her latest book for authors is Taking the Short Tack, Creating Income and Connecting with Readers Using Short Fiction, co-written with the lovely Mark Leslie DeFave. So welcome, Matty. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. Oh, yes. And we were just having a chat. You know, we've known each other for years. We've hung out at Thriller Fest. So uh, it's great to have you on the show finally. Yeah, it's wonderful to be here. Great. So start off, tell us a bit more about you and how you got into writing. Well, I had always had a goal of being a writer, not least because my father was a writer. And in fact, my publishing company, William Kingsfield Publishers, is an homage to my father who wrote under the pen name William Kingsfield. And he had several short stories, appropriately enough for today's topic, had several short stories published back in the 50s in Collier's and Cosmopolitan. And then he turned his eye to novels. And I think he was just, he was a short story guy. He wasn't a novel guy. He never got a novel published and indie publishing wasn't available to him at the time. But it was always something that I wanted to do. I wrote some short stories in college and turned them over to my dad who acted as my agent and he would send them out to publications. And there's one I recall that I got published. I actually didn't keep that close track of it. But then I left college and writing sort of fell by the wayside, primarily because I just wasn't coming up with stories that I thought were sufficiently compelling. And then in 
2011, my husband and I were vacationing in Yellowstone National Park, and we were staying at the Yellowstone Inn. And if ever there was going to be a haunted location, it would be the Yellowstone Inn, (laughs) the Yellowstone Hotel, I guess it's called. And I started telling him about this scene that I had very specifically imagined in my mind of a woman who was able to sense spirits who goes to a house on a consulting engagement and encounters such a terrible sense there because the reader knows, but she does not know that a murder has taken place there. And I said, oh, I really see it as a movie, but I'm not interested in writing a screenplay. And he said, well, write it down. Maybe it's a book. And that night I started writing and that was five books ago and half a dozen short stories ago. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, it's interesting. You, you've already sort of said there about your dad not being a novel guy and but writing short stories. So I'm, I'm really interested in that. We'll circle back to that. But let's start by defining short fiction. What are we talking about and, and what are the different types? You know, people might have heard of flash fiction, short stories, novellas. So tell us, like, what is the definition? We use the science fiction and fantasy writer's guideline that anything over 40,000 words is considered a novel. 40,000 words would be a pretty short novel, but that's what they consider a novel. So we considered anything less than 40,000 words to be short fiction. But with a couple of exceptions, like microfiction and flash fiction, the ideas that we have in the book are really applicable regardless of where in that range of word count you fall. Now, the the tips work as well for a 5,000-word short story, which is more the the area that I'm writing my stories in up to 40,000 words. But that's the cutoff we used for defining short fiction. Mm, it's interesting because I have written short stories at around 5,000 words and my novellas are probably 25,000. So um, we're going to talk about both of those really, aren't we? But I did want to ask about serials because a lot of, I'm getting, uh, serials seem to go in waves. I've been getting a lot of emails <laughs> recently about serials and of course it took off, I don't know, eight years ago or something with the Kindle serials. But um, what are serials and are you including serials in that? We are. I think that the whole idea of serials has become even more popular with the serial podcast. I don't know if how far beyond the US that spread, but that's a very popular podcast from a couple of years ago. And one of the ideas we offer for short fiction is posting a serialized story on your website as a place as a way to attract readers to your website. Of course, have a little pop up there asking them to sign up for your email newsletter. And you can monetize that to an extent by using something like Patreon, which I know you use, or buy me a coffee, which is something that I'm using now. It's just a plugin you can put on your website and it enables people to buy you a virtual coffee through PayPal or Stripe by clicking on a button, which is really nice. If somebody reads through a short story and they get to the end, they really enjoyed it. They can just send you three bucks or four bucks and It's a nice way for not only to earn a little money, but also to connect with your readers and to get that satisfaction to see that somebody really appreciated it enough to take the time to do that. Mm, That's fantastic. We'll come back to monetization in a minute. But um, I know some people listening uh, will be going, but you can make more money with a novel. And why would I write short fiction? So give us some of the other reasons uh, we might consider writing shorts. Sure. I think that the primary reason is 
all the benefits that the short part of short fiction offers. So if you're looking for a tool to connect with readers, you can certainly connect with readers with a new product much more frequently. If you're producing an 8,000 word short story, let's say, rather than 80,000 word novel, you should be able to write one of those in a tenth of the time and probably less because you're not dealing generally with the plot complexities that you might be with a full length novel. So you can stay front of mind with your readership more easily with short fiction. Another huge benefit over novels is that enables you to experiment. So you might be established in one genre and you're thinking about venturing into a different genre, or you might want to experiment with using a different point of view. You're used to writing third person. You want to try out first person and you could experiment with that with a novel length work, but you could end up investing a year or two years or 10 years and get to the end of that experiment and find out that it really wasn't successful. Whereas if you're doing that experimentation with a shorter work, then you're limiting the damage you can do <laughs> to the time <laughs> that might be eaten up. And yet it's enough of an effort that you are thoroughly exercising whatever that experiment is that you want to do. Mm. But um, I guess what I've written a lot more novels than I've written short stories. And it's funny because I really struggle with short stories because I can't seem to think of something small enough uh, <laughs> to fit into that. So what, what are the diff- what ha- for someone like me and people listening, I mean, you said, coming back to your dad, you said he wasn't a novel guy, he was a short story guy. I feel more like I'm a novel girl, not a short story girl. So what, what, are, the, um, what are the tips for sort of making short stories appropriate? Like how can we cut down our ideas? I think that ideas can sort of be bucketed out into the, it it will take 80,000 words or it will take 8,000 words. And what I find is that most of the time when I come up with an idea, I think of a theme and then I build a story around it. Or as has been the case with a number of my books, I have one scene very clearly in mind And then I have to write up to that scene and write away from that scene to create a novel, which is very, very inefficient. I'm trying to stop doing that. But sometimes I just have a what if, and it's often triggered by a circumstance I find myself in. So as an example, my husband and I went on a cruise last year. Thank God we did that last year and not this (laughs) year. I was going to say, no cruise industry (laughs) left now, as we record this. (laughs) Yeah, no cruising anymore for the time being. But we cruised from... Hawaii to Vancouver, and we were at sea for five days. And that was an experience I had never had before to be away from land for that long, which was great. I have to say that the five days at sea was my favorite part of that trip, and I got tons of writing done. But I started thinking about what would happen if someone jumped overboard and thinking about it from an author point of view. And it was the sort of thing that I didn't it wasn't enough to hang an entire plot line on, although I can imagine down the road perhaps expanding that into a story that would take place on a cruise ship. That would be fun. But it was really just what if a what if a person jumped overboard and now Ann Kinnear has shown up who can communicate with the spirit of this person and what might that look like? And so that turned out to be a fun story to tell in about 5,000 words. It wouldn't have needed a lot more meat to tell it as a novel length work. But I think that's that's the dividing point for me 
is it a theme which lends itself more to novels or is it more a slice of life mm. or a slice of fictional life? In this case? <laughs> yeah. um, and you mentioned Anne Kinnear there, who is your main character in your thrillers, right? In your suspense yeah. books. Um, yes. So are you suggesting that we write our short fiction using the characters from our longer works or just do completely different stuff or both? You could do both and they might serve different purposes. So if you're writing different characters, it might be more in that experimentation mode where you want to see how it goes. Perhaps you want to share it out with readers or share it out with your followers, your email list to get their opinion on it. But when I started writing the Ann Kinnear Suspense Schwartz, it was very specifically triggered by my need to get some Ann Kinnear material out there. Because I published my first Ann Kinnear suspense novel, The Sense of Death, in 2013, and I published the follow-on, which was The Sense of Reckoning, in 2015. And then I had an idea that definitely required a novel-length work to explore, but it was one that really didn't fit into the Ann Kinnear world. And that's the book that became Rock, Paper, Scissors, which was my first Lizzie Ballard thriller. And... I told my Anne fans, oh, I have this one book that I need to write. And as soon as I'm done, I'll get back to Anne Kinnear 3. So I finished Rock, Paper, Scissors. And then I had an idea that I wanted to pursue about what happened to Lizzie next. So that became Snakes and Ladders. And I continued to tell my Anne Kinnear followers to just be patient a little bit longer. <laughs> and then, of course, I had a third idea. I realized it was a trilogy. So I wrote The Iron Ring, which was the third book in the Lizzie Ballard Thriller trilogy. And at this point, I really felt like I had to give the engineer fans something. And so that's when I started writing the um, the engineer suspense shorts to sort of tie them over until I really did get to engineer three, which I'm working on now. And so it was very important for me to have the same characters. If there was a character they really loved, it was important for me to give them a little taste of that character as part of my effort to tie them over. And so one of the things I'm interested in is as I see those stories are going out to a wider audience, and I think at some point they're going to get to the people who aren't familiar with the novels, I'm going to be interested to see if the response to them is as positive as when it's been the people who already knew the characters. Because it's a little bit different. If you're writing a story, assuming that the person is familiar with the characters, you take a little bit different approach. And so that's some market research I'm waiting to to see how that pans out. But yeah, I think it could be different approaches and it just depends on what your goal is with that piece of short fiction. Yeah, I think you're right. The engaging existing fans. And I, I mean, I'm almost in the same position with my Arcane series. <laughs> and I actually just got an mm -hmm. email before they're saying, um, have you finished that series or will there be any more books? Because it's been <laughs> almost two years, same as you, because <laughs> I've yeah. been writing my Matt Walker series. And this is the thing, isn't it? We're, as creative people, especially when you start a new, uh, a new book, you think oh, it's only one book and then it turns into three, which is right. just typical. Um, but it's interesting. So let's talk about, um, the licensing or making money with short fiction because I mean the actually the only short stories I've written have been commissioned so I've actually been paid for those stories up front and then got the rights back later and then self-published those so I've made yeah I see a, I see an additional chapter in taking the short tack in a future edition on commissioned works 
Yeah, well, it's it's because I had never considered writing short stories, and then you know got got commissioned. In fact, I'll thank Mark Leslie Lefay for that because it was around Dan <laughs> Brown's book Inferno when he was back at Kobo, and we did a project together then. Um, right. So it's interesting because that that is one way, um, you know, of getting commissioned. What are some of the other ways that people can actually make money from short fiction? Well, one of the ways is the one I mentioned that is putting it out as a standalone ebook. So all my Ann Kinnear suspense shorts are available on all the online retail platforms for 99 cents. And you publish them just as you would a novel length work. The couple of best practices that we call out to make that a viable, a financially viable approach are related to how can you make book cover design and editing and proofreading affordable when you're putting a product out there that's you're only going to be selling for 99 cents. And what I did for the Ann Kinnear Suspense Shorts is that I worked with a cover designer to come up with a template and I would go find royalty-free images or I would purchase an image and then send it to him and he would be able to apply this template that had my author name in the same font that it appears on the novels, the title in the same font that it appears in the novels and an Ann Kinnear suspense short. And then I would show him what part of the photograph I wanted to have constitute the cover. And then on that basis, it sounds like something I should be able to do myself, right? But with someone with a designer eye, he was always able to do things like arrange the words in the title slightly differently. So they looked much nicer than if you just typed it out Mm. in a word processor format. Um, he was able to adjust the the image that I provided to make it look appropriate for what I was trying to achieve. And so once we had that template in place, it was very easy and inexpensive for me to just send him the new title, the new picture, and pretty soon, you know, he would do five minutes worth of work and pretty soon I would have a cover. So that's a way you can approach the money-making aspect of standalone ebook from an affordable point of view for cover design. And similarly, you're going to be paying comparably less for editorial services if they're only reading 8,000 words than if they're reading 80,000 words. So the editorial costs can be much less. I've had good luck in terms of holding down proofreading costs by soliciting what I call people to look for typo bounty, give them a typo bounty. So... I'll send a solicitation out to a writer's group I belong to. I'll say, I'll send you this uh, story for free, obviously, and I'll pay you a bounty of so much per typo up to some limit. So that can be an inexpensive way, actually, both for short stories and novels to get that done. But the one call out that we like to make in the book is you can't allow the short nature of short fiction to, you can't use it as an excuse for having a lower standard of excellence for it. It still has to be professionally edited, professionally proofread. You have to have a professional looking cover or it's going to get, you know, lost in the dross of the millions of online books. Mm. But standalone ebook is one. Foreign language market is one that we spend some time on, but we largely point people to Douglas Smith's playing the short game. 
and uh, Douglas Smith's website because he has lots of great information about foreign language markets. And it's something that I think a lot of writers don't pursue because they think they're going to have to take on the translation work. But oftentimes, if you sell an English language piece of short fiction to a foreign language market, they'll take care of the translations for you. Uh, Patreon support is another way you can monetize. If, for example, you're putting your short story up on your website or, you know, a, a password protected area of your website that only the uh, Patreon patrons can get to, then that would be another way of monetizing it. So lots of areas in both the traditional and the indie spheres that you can use for the income creation aspect of short fiction. Mm, and I want to shout out uh, Sean Ann Maguire on Patreon and also uh, uh, N.K. Jemison. Mm-hmm. Um, who both have Patreon for their fictions. Sean Ann Maguire, particularly, I think she's making about $11,000 per story. Wow. With, yeah, with Patreon. She's That's traditionally pu- Yeah, exactly. She's a traditionally published author, and um, I love her um, horror as Mira Grant, and uh, she's just a fantastic writer. So it's great to see, like, traditionally published authors who are, you know, who have a bigger audience can go indie with this kind of Patreon model because they're not even actually publishing it necessarily and then of course I've seen some of the stories that she writes for her Patreon also end up in anthologies we'll come back to anthologies in a minute but um also just to say Douglas Smith has been on the show before so I refer people back to his interview um one of the things he talks about is actually uh submitting to magazines and uh you know traditional publishing itself for short stories, because there is quite a market for that. Um, what, any thoughts on that? Well, one of the things that was an important lesson from Doug, and also I believe from Christine Catherine Rush, is the idea that if you're sending out to the traditional publishing market, you might as well start at the top. I think a lot of self-effacing writers will look into the traditional publishing market and think, oh, this is the big name. I'm not going to go for that. I'm going to go for some small publication where I'm going to receive a copy of the magazine or, uh, you know, some other token recognition. But if you're going to go to the traditional route, you might as well start with the big names and all they can do is say no and work your way down if you need to and if you want to. But you might as well submit to those big names because you never know. And it was interesting. One of the reasons that I really liked working with Mark on this is that we we brought very different backgrounds and very different experience. Obviously, Mark is a big indie guy, but from the short fiction point of view, he has much, much more experience with traditional publishing than I do. And so after I got the information for the traditional publishing chapter from him, I thought, you know, I'm going to I'm going to try all the things in this that I can possibly try before the publication date. And so I had a story I had already published as a standalone ebook, and I found a, a publication that took reprints. So I submitted that story as a reprint. And then I wrote actually this, the cruise ship story that I mentioned before, I wrote as a new story. And I went to a couple of the big names and I published it, I submitted it. I went to their website that they, where they took submissions and I filled out all the information and I got to the bottom and I hit submit and I got an error message that made it clear that it wasn't user error. It was, it was some technical problem. Did it all again, filled it all out, hit submit, same error message, (laughs) sent a message to their customer service organization, never heard back. 
I got in touch with a friend of mine who's published a lot of short stories and he said, oh yeah, they're kind of known for being a little glitzy on the, I mean, a, a little ditzy on the administrative side. Why don't you try their sister organization? So I went to that site's submission page, filled out all the information, hit submit, same error message, tried to get in touch with them. No word. And at this point, in true indie fashion, I thought, you know what? I'm just not going to wait anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to publish it myself. So I think it really depends on what you're looking for. Obviously, there's a certain cachet and a certain prestige with getting your work into a well, especially a well-known traditional uh, short fiction publication and potentially a lot of benefit from the point of view of, you know, it's a uh, it's good. It looks good on the resume, let's say. But I found that my indiness came through and eventually I just lost patience for it. And I just published that one myself. <laughs> but Mark has had obviously a very, very different experience. And it's really his advice you want to follow in terms of the traditional publishing side. Yeah, it's funny you say your indiness. I, I've been the same. I mean, when I had Doug on the show, I was all fired up with doing shorts for traditional markets. And then, like you say, you have to identify the markets. And there's some good tools. You have them in the book. I think Duotrope is one of them. And they yep. have these um, uh, lists of places you can submit to. And then you just you just get tired with even looking at this stuff. And in the end, like you say, I end up just publishing my stuff anyway, um, which, which is fine. But um, one uh, another benefit of being in these um, in a traditional magazine or a traditionally published anthology, for example, would be marketing. Um, there's often much more you can you could be in something next to a really big name in your genre. So it can yes. be worth it, not for the financial reasons, but potentially for the marketing and association reasons. As you say, it's more it's a bit like getting on TV, for example. It doesn't sell any books, but, <laughs> but it looks good on your resume. <laughs> yeah, I think you definitely get that kind of benefit from from being traditionally published, you also get that kind of benefit from being in an, in an anthology. And this is an area that I know you can speak to, but it seems as if getting into an anthology is one of those things that the idea of networking within the writing and publishing communities is very important because sometimes those opportunities are published out to the public, but sometimes it's the sort of thing that you're sitting next to someone at a conference or you're on a panel with them and they say, hey, I'm working I'm working on this anthology. Mark gives a good example of sitting with someone in a panel waiting for the panel discussion to begin and it was someone who was putting to, together in an anthology and didn't realize that Mark wrote in both science fiction and horror genres. And when he found that out, he was working on an anthology in one of those genres and Mark ended up being included in that. So it's a great example of the importance of building those communities because they'll open opportunities for you that you're not going to get if you're just sitting quietly at home by yourself. Even in these times, there are plenty of ways to be networking with people. Uh, being out there and letting people know that you're interested in those kinds of opportunities is very important. 
Yes, and I've been in an anthology with Mark, uh, one of the fiction rivers for uh, WMG Publishing, which is uh, Dean Wesley Smith and Christine Catherine Rush. And they do those regularly. Um, And as you say, networking is really good. And a good way, I mean, we're all readers as well as writers. And in fact, some of the short story collections I've bought are because I like the writer, like Sean Ann Maguire, who I mentioned. I've bought anthologies because she's in them, Mm -hmm. um, because I literally love her stuff. But if you you, um, the listener, are interested in being in an anthology, you have to pay attention to the people who edit the anthologies because they are the ones who, or the ones writing the forwards to them. Yes. Um, and then, you, like, it's going down a Google rabbit hole, isn't it? It's finding, like, <laughs> where those people are, who they know. It, it's almost like I wish we had LinkedIn for the author community. <laughs> So then we yeah. can to see who knows who knows who. Um, and then, you know, back in back when we're traveling, it could be going to a conference where they are, or Dean and Chris, for example, run an anthology workshop where they buy, they will end up buying some of the short stories from attendees. So yeah, yeah that is, I mean, yes, it's an investment, but it's an investment in your craft, which is going to pay off. Uh, you've you've done their workshops, haven't you? I have not. No, oh, that's you haven't. on my okay. bucket list. <laughs> well, hopefully they, they will run them again. <laughs> yeah. When, the, when the world comes you back. Don't have, um, you can also look at, at local opportunities. So I have one of my stories in an anthology that was published as part of a fundraising effort for a local library. And there was a noir, noir at a bar event where the speakers came, there was an admission fee and the admission fees all went to the library. And then all the readers at that event had their books bundled into an anthology, the proceeds of which also go to the library. So you don't have to be looking at the big, you know, the huge names, uh, the Dean Wesley Smiths and the Christine Catherine Rushes of the world. You can find those opportunities much more locally too. Yeah. And you can also organize them yourself uh, using services like, um, well, Story Bundle is one option, but Bundle Rabbit, um, Chuck Heinzelman's service, uh, that's another way. What are some of the other ways that you've seen indies doing anthologies? Those are the two primary ways. I had done a bundle through Bundle Rabbit, not not of short fiction, but an ebook box set I think it was called Sisters of Suspense, and it was a first in series from five different authors. Um, and I used Bundle Rabbit, and it was very easy and a really nice way to get um, an anthology or a bundle out to all the different online retail sites in a very easy way. So that would be the first place I would send people to if they were looking to put together their own anthology of short fiction. Mm. And I would say that... Uh... There's a definite hierarchy within short fiction anthologies within genres as well. So we've, you know, mentioned that there are paying markets where you're going to be paid for your story. And first print rights, as you mentioned, are really important for those mm-hmm. type of markets. They're not going to take reprints. But then there's a sort of, um, you know, the, the, then it goes down <laughs> in order. And, you know, right. the indie bundle rabbit ones, I'm not saying that they're, they're anything about the writing. I'm just saying that there are things that people are looking for. Uh, Awards, for example, the International Thriller Writers we're both in has an award for the best short story. And that is not going to be pulling from an indie published bundle rabbit anthology, for example. Right. You can always look around, and this is another 
place where community building is important. If you're pulling together an anthology, you could perhaps look to someone who's a little bit bigger in the area you're writing in, but is still willing to participate in that and then reward them with a higher percentage of sales of the royalties. And also, I would say it's very important to enlist all the participants of the anthology to commit to promoting it, because it's that cross-promotion that is going to potentially make that a profitable effort. Yeah, definitely. So, um, we, I guess we've talked mainly about the ebook uh, version of an anthology. I've done an ebook of three of my short stories. A Thousand Fiendish Angels is in ebook, print, and audio. So obviously, you can, you can. Dean Wesley Smith, I think, prints his short stories, has a print on demand version, uh, but usually they're quite short, so you can't really do that. But um, uh, ML Buckman, who's been on the show, he does print editions of mm-hmm. uh, every year. He'll do twelve short stories in an edition. Um, so those are ways that you can do print. Um, any other thoughts on print for short fiction? Well, I would like to do that for a collection of Anne Kinnear suspense shorts. So my goal is that once I get twelve of them, I'm going to put them together and have a print version of A Year of Kinnear. So there'll be a short story that's set in each month of the year. It'll be subtitled A Year of Kinnear, and that would be available in in all those formats you're talking about. Audio is really interesting, and Mark especially has had great luck with audio. He's in a nice position because he can narrate and produce his own audio, and he has earned back on all his short fiction audios very quickly. And if audio is something you want to pursue – ACX, which is affiliated with Amazon, is probably not a good option because nobody's going to pay a credit for a half hour long short story if they can pay the same credit for James Mishner. Yeah, of like a 45 hour book. (laughs) Yeah, a 45 hour book. But Find Away Voices is a great option there. And it gives you much more flexibility in terms of being able to set your own prices and so on. So that's something that I'm going to be pursuing myself. You can also use audio on your website. So Mark had Free Friday Frights, which he has recently resurrected, I believe, where he would um, actually use video. He would do a live video feed of him reading one of his short stories. And so that's one that's more focused on connecting with readers than creating income But it's a really nice way to give the people who are following you a little nice extra uh, dose of you and your work. Yeah, I mean, I've I've narrated all my short stories as well. Um, And I mean, it's you should still have them on Audible. Uh, I mean, you can just do that through Find A Way anyway um, to put them on Audible. Um, But it it is interesting because it's if you're going to try self-narration, then doing shorts is quite a good way to start. (laughs) Yeah. It's not a huge commitment in in time. Um, but um, any other thoughts on the different ways we can use short fiction? Did we miss anything? One that I like is getting unstuck. And it's one that we actually listed under creating income. And the idea is that if you're working on a larger work and you've just ground to a halt, you can keep banging your head against it. Or you can switch your attention to something else. And the danger of switching your attention to another long work is that now you're splitting your time across two things that you might be banging your head against. But if you switch your attention to something short, a piece of short fiction, it can be a nice break. 
it can be a good way for you to refresh your mind. And yet, again, you're not taking that huge time commitment to launch into another huge project. And so we put getting unstuck under creating income because you're not going to make income with a piece of work that is stuck. And short fiction is often a good way to get past that. Oh, I like that. I think that's really good. And a flash can be a good way to do that. But I think selling flash is even harder than <laughs> selling short stories because it could be, you know, only like 500 words. So, um, but I, I think that's great. So I did want to ask you because you had, you actually co-wrote, um, this book, Taking the Short Tack with Mark. Um, and obviously Mark is fantastic, been on the show lots, yeah. personal friend, karaoke friend of mine, but, um, I've never co-written with Mark. So, I'm very interested. Uh, how was your co-writing experience and any tips? Because I know I know it's challenging. Yeah, it was fantastic. It started because I was listening to the Stark Reflections on Writing and Publishing podcast, which is Mark's podcast. And he had just mentioned short fiction in passing. And I had this group of Ann Kinnear suspense shorts that I was trying to decide what to do with. And so I sent him a note and I said, would you be willing to devote an episode to talking about what you can do with short fiction. And because he's such an obliging guy, he did. And he had an episode, I think it's 97. It was called 10 Tips for Marketing and Making Money Off Your Short Fiction. And because he always over delivers, there was actually 13. And when that was over, I wrote him another note. And I said, thank you so much for doing that. I think there would be a book in this. Would you be interested in co-authoring a book on short fiction with me? And he said, yes. And following are also uh, your colleague Jay Thorne's advice about go to someone with an offer, not an ask. Originally, the idea was that I would do the vast majority of the work, and I was hoping to take advantage of Mark's knowledge in areas that I was not familiar with, like traditional publishing and also obviously his much wider reach in the industry. But it actually turned out to be much, he did much more work. <laughs> that I expected him to do in the beginning. Originally, what I was planning on doing was interviewing him for those parts that I had less familiarity with and then writing up the results and sending it to him and having him correct it. But he actually wrote most of the the sections where he had all the experience, like the traditional publishing market. He did most of the writing on that, and then I edited it so that it was a consistent voice through the um, – through the book. But it was great. I mean, we not only brought different perspectives, he having more experience, much more experience in the traditional publishing world, and me having um, relatively more experience, not more experience than Mark, but more experience than the traditional publishing world in the on the indie side. That was great. Uh, the other thing that I thought was really good is that Mark is such a people person. And I'm such a project manager. <laughs> that's a good good combination <laughs> it really it did turn out to be a great combination and you know after having spent several decades in the uh, corporate world as a project manager before I left last year to make a go of this full time I'm all about the checklists and the schedules and Bark is all about you know how are we going to help people with this material and so it turned out to be a really great combination from that point of view. You know, in some cases he was more the idea guy and I was more the execution person. So it really worked out well that we were bringing very different 
we were coming from very different places. And I think it melded in a way that's going to be great for readers because they'll have all these different aspects covered. And the other piece of advice that I'd offer, and I know this is something that that you're a big proponent of, is make sure you have a contract for this kind of effort. And I really love the approach of you don't sign a contract because you don't trust each other. You enter into a contract because you do trust each other. And so in the case of me and Mark, that was a two-page Word document that just outlined the high-level approach we were going to take about how we would split royalties, the mechanisms we would use to do that, who would do in general what type of work. And since we signed that, we've actually changed a couple of things. For example, Mark was originally going to narrate the audio book. And as time went on, it just became apparent that I had more time to devote to that. And um, I'm going to pick that up. We made a couple of I made a couple of decisions about branding um, to make it not so indie author branded as I'd originally anticipated. So now we just have a one page little addendum that we're going to sign to formalize those agreements that we've already come to. But yeah, it was it was a great experience. No, that's great. And definitely complementary skills is fantastic for co-writing and not just for the writing, but as you say, the experience and also the marketing. And I'm so glad you, you mentioned the contract there. I, I just hear so many stories of indie authors who just jump into these things without writing down how it's going to work. Because basically, it, you know, you're, if you keep that book going and you keep keep that book published, basically that can go on beyond your deaths. <laughs> So yes, exactly. Exactly. It, it's a it's a huge commitment, and people people just jump into these things without considering the um, the potential of the book. And certainly, uh, I think it's a great book, very well organised. As you said, you're a project manager, and I can totally tell that in the book. It's so well organised. <laughs> good, good. Yes. I'm glad I was able to bring that to it. Yes, you definitely did. Um, so where can people find you and your podcast and your books and everything you do online? They can go for my nonfiction platform to theindieauthor.com, and that's indie with a Y, I-N-D-Y. And if they're interested in learning about my fiction work, they can go to maddiedalrymple.com, and that's Maddie with a Y, M-A-T-T-Y. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for your time, Matty. That was great. Thanks, Joanne. So I hope you found the interview interesting with Matty today and that it gave you some ideas for your own writing, whether that is short fiction for licensing, self-publishing or using them to grow your list and connect with readers. And remember to check out the co-writing course at thecreativepen.com forward slash learn. Next week, I'll be talking with Larry Brooks, author of Story Engineering, which is the book that taught me how to write a scene. And Larry is back with a new book, Great Stories Don't Write Themselves, How to Develop Strong Fiction Ideas is what we are talking about. So that is a great interview coming up next week. Happy writing and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes and show notes available at thecreativepen.com forward slash podcast. You can also get your free author blueprint at thecreativepen.com forward slash blueprint. If you'd like to connect, you can tweet me at The Creative Pen or find me on Facebook at The Creative Pen. See you next time. <laughs>